0: This is the Spring Research Project podcast, where we talk about community sponsorship of refugees. My name is Eliza Bateman, and I am Head of Research at the University of Ottawa Refugee Hub. And I'm Tiomir Sapchev, Postdoctoral Fellow at the Refugee Hub. Welcome again to our Spring Research Project podcast. Discussions on the private sponsorship of refugees program tend to emphasize the positive aspects of refugee sponsorship and rarely focus on the challenges. For example, one can often hear stories where refugee newcomers build very strong, almost familial relationships with their sponsors. In contrast, one rarely hears of sponsorship cases where sponsors and newcomers do not build lasting relationships, enter into disagreements and conflicts, and cannot even wait for the one-year sponsorship period to end. In today's episode, we would like to raise some awareness about such conflicts in the PSR program. As a natural and inevitable part of human interaction, conflicts emerge in refugee sponsorship as well. What is the nature and source of such conflicts? How can sponsors and newcomers avoid, de-escalate and resolve them? To help me answer these questions, I am joined by Rula Mustafa, who is an accredited mediator and certified trainer from the Center for Effective Dispute Resolution. Before moving to Canada, Rula worked as a lawyer. She holds an LLM in International Commercial Law from City University of London, a Global MBA from IE Business School and a Certificate in Intercultural Studies from the University of British Columbia. After moving to Canada in 2015, Rula managed a sponsorship agreement holder for several years. Currently, she leads a government-funded project that trains and coaches refugee sponsors on how to avoid, mitigate and resolve different conflicts. Conflict amongst sponsors themselves, conflicts with refugee newcomers or conflicts with settlement agencies serving newcomers. Rula, it's a pleasure to have you on our podcast.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure also to be on this podcast.
0: Before we discuss conflicts in the PSR program, may I ask you to tell me a little bit more about yourself? I know that you've had some experience in the humanitarian and refugee sector also before moving to Canada.
1: Sure. You know, when um, the war started in Syria, I had just came back from the UK. I finished my LLM, then I was working for a law firm in Syria then we had to leave our home in damascus and go back to my dad's village or town actually not a village and um, because we had a house so our house was destroyed and then we lost a brother we had to go with his kids back to my um parents town and then was like um many displaced people like thousands of thousands of displaced people from across well, at the beginning, it started just from the uh, cities that are neighboring my town. They were fleeing violence and coming to find refuge in my town. So there were many local initiatives until uh, the al Development Network that operate in Syria and has the Al-Khan Foundation, one of its agency uh, agencies, working in my uh, town. So I, was join, I had just joined them for two months as a legal consultant after I moved to my town. So AKF decided that uh, we will start or shift the entire mission of the agency. It's an international organization that deals mostly with development in so many different um, countries across the globe they decided to shift the mission of the uh, agency from development to humanitarian assistance. So uh, we had to change the way we worked to meet the needs of the local people and the displaced, the thousands and th- thousands of displaced who came to my town. So we started the humanitarian assistance program. We went to Beirut and we got like a uh, professional training on how to start and manage uh, humanitarian assistance program. There were many other organizations working on the town, but the problem was they were polarized, either politically or religiously, or probably they lacked resources. So their work was uh, a little bit, or the impact of their work was uh, a little bit uh, limited. Many of us, like it was me and many other co-workers who just returned from the UK, so we started the humanitarian assistance program. And there we first started by just distributing food baskets. It was the World uh, Food Program, uh, WFO, who gave us the food baskets. And then we were managing everything, calling the beneficiaries, assessing the beneficiaries, distributing the food. So we had worked on creating a very neutral uh, needs-based assessment for all the families that came to to my town. So at the time we had like, we started with 2000 food baskets, but when WFO came to uh, our town and they visited us and they saw the type of uh, uh, services we were offering everyone regardless of their political, geographical or religious background, they started increasing. Uh, We reached like 35,000 families at probably, or after very few months of starting the program and then also many other international organization give us a lot of grants to run many programs and to provide voucher for like uh, uh, shelters uh, food for school uh, equipment so After that, I had to to go to manage, to start and manage uh, legal and humanitarian assistance because our programs expanded and we were requested also to expand beyond the town. So I managed the legal and HR department before moving to Canada. That was my last post before arriving in Canada. I arrived here by December 2015.
0: Thank you so much for sharing this story, Rula. It's amazing to learn about your past experience and How it relates directly to your background and to assisting displaced people and refugees i would like now to shift the focus to your post-arrival let's say experience i know that you work for a sponsorship agreement holder and more recently over the last year you've been working on a project with the neighborhood group in toronto where you are training and coaching sponsor groups on conflict resolution can you tell me more about this work of yours
1: sure before that i'll just tell you a little bit about my experience in the private sponsorship so when i arrived to canada lifeline syria was very new and they needed like a lot of volunteers so i joined them one week after my arrival uh, i worked like for nine months i was waiting for my uh, 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 work permit to come so i worked as a volunteer for nine months with them and then when i moved to uh, edmonton i joined the islamic family and social services association at the time was a CG, Constituent Group, to uh, different Sahs. So I was managing the arrival of the refugees at the time, but also like we created many new programs to help refugees resettle in Canada. And after a few months, we became a Sah ourselves. So we started um, a whole journey, um, like creating the assessment to uh, decide, you know, who will get, uh, you know how the uh, private sponsorship works. So every, every year we have a quota and then we have to uh, choose uh, uh, some sponsors who want to sponsor their family members or their loved ones or even strangers. So they were applying to us. We created uh, an application, we created a rubric, and then we're picking those who scored the highest Uh, in terms of the needs of the refugees and also the uh, stability and the ability of the sponsors to resettle refugees. So when I was working with IFSA, I then got to know about TNG and uh, because I also was, before I moved to, to Edmonton, I was a volunteer with St. Stephen Community House, which is now part of the TNG. I was a volunteer mediator where in 2016, they started a project where they were, mediating cases between Syrian newcomers and their uh, Canadian sponsors. So I took over mediating few cases. So I knew about them. And when I got an email with the opportunity that they were uh, looking for someone as a a media or as a conflict resolution trainer, I was so happy You know that I didn't want to leave IFSA because I was so attached to the sponsorship program I was feeling, you know, so uh, happy and satisfied with, with me, like helping refugees resettle here. So when I saw the chance, you know, it's both conflict resolution, my passion, my also like experience for the last year. I've been volunteering as a trainer and mediator and still working with the sponsors and refugees. So I started with the TNG by uh, January and we designed the program along with RSTB. So RSTB was very instrumental in designing the curriculum or uh, just guiding us on the best topic to cover. And from there, we started the training uh, and coaching to sponsors. So as you mentioned earlier, it's funded by RCC. It's 12 months or actually more. Um, we are ending this project by March, 2023. So for now we are delivering training Two sessions training five hours for the first three hours we build skills which is certain skills that help in de-escalating conflicts to avoid having a sponsorship breakdown and two more hours to practice the skills that we learned in the uh, uh, first uh, session
0: based on your experience and your interaction with sponsor groups as a sponsorship agreement holder representative but also as a trainer in these sessions that you have been organizing Can you tell us what are the reasons that usually lead to conflicts?
1: In general, we have like certain categories of uh, the uh, sources of conflict. So we have information. Conflict could arise due to lack of information, misinformation, or different interpretations and views. It could also arise because of different uh, perceived or actual conflicting needs, so it's like the needs of each party is different, and it's also probably perceived differently or misinterpreted. Also, it could, uh, it could arise due to poor communication or miscommunication, misperception, stereotyping, or it could be due to strong emotions showed by one of the parties or the two or more parties. Also, it could be structural, which like, we call it structural because it's, uh, it's mostly related to how the relationship is structured. Like there could be an equal power in the relationship, limited time or resources. There could be some physical or geographical factors that hindering the cooperation between the parties, or it could be that there are different values, different priorities, different ways of life or uh, beliefs, and also, you know, how everyone or what matters to everyone. So what matters to me could be different to other person. So those are usually the source of uh, conflicts in any relationship. In a sponsorship relationship, uh, see if like it's a group of five, the reason could be probably uh, miscommunication, misinterpretation of some of uh, of what's being said because maybe the group of five, they are not that familiar with the uh, refugees themselves. Also, uh, it could be, you know, lack of time, lack of resources, but I also see, you know, stereotyping unconscious bias as critical factors that impacted uh, the relationship and led like to, to uh, deteriorating the relationship then to a conflict and loss of relationship between both of them.
0: Could you perhaps give us some examples in terms of these misaligned expectations between sponsors and newcomers or in terms of cultural differences between the two parties and how these have led to some conflicts that you have observed
1: sure definitely you know when we start our, our workshop we start by explaining cultural considerations how different cultures across the globe are different and how probably we interpret things differently due to the background to uh, to how or high context we are, or the the people who are coming from this culture are. So um, in a group of five, for example, I have seen many stereotyping or uh, unconscious bias, like for example, the perception that probably refugees don't know how to set up their house. So the sponsors would have that feeling, you know, that we have to lead them, or we have to impose our view of how the house is set. And they have so many different examples or real examples of how sometimes refugees did not feel comfortable with the way the house is set up. So they wanted to change, but then the sponsors thought, you know, that they know more, that this is cultural thing that prevail here in Canada. You know, this is how Canadians set up their house. But the refugees feel differently. Or, you know, sometimes uh, what type of food they want to get, but then the sponsors are more concerned about, you know, the financial uh, aspect, you know, you go g- pick up the cheapest food so you can make up uh, or just like meat. Um, I've seen some sponsors, for example, kind of imposing the review that, you know, halal food is expensive. So you have to go for non-halal food or non-halal meat because it's way cheaper. Or probably the way, you know, the sponsor talk to the uh, refugees. It could be perceived as a uh, belittling or condescending by the refugees, but the sponsor maybe sometimes did not mean to come across as someone who is uh, imposing or someone who is uh, belittling the others, but there are cultural differences in the way people perceive things, perceive even like body language, perceive some of the statements, so sponsors should be more careful and more conscious when they speak to the refugees on and when they interact with the refugees in general. So an example of uh, a family I knew after they moved to Edmonton is that they were sponsored. They were a large family. Many kids, they were sponsored by Group 5. They, they were part of their like uh, uh, faith community. So they never knew them, but they sponsored them through Asah. Uh, there was no managing of expectations at all, no sharing of like plan with the refugees. So what happened that the refugees decided to take uh, or to uh, to take a route in their life and the sponsors were not uh, happy with that, but they never shared with the uh, refugees that uh, they were not happy. The only thing that they did that they actually stopped communicating with them and they were hoping that the refugees would understand that this means that they they don't agree on the decision but unfortunately the refugees did not understand that because it's just different way of thinking different way of like perceiving also perceiving things so the the refugees went ahead and they took the decision after which the sponsor decided, you know, that they don't want to continue sponsoring them. So they were pushing them to move out of the city so they no longer responsible for them. Of course, the refugees were hurt, and, you know, because they felt um, unwelcome, they decided to move. They moved, and then they became... They had to go to work, the father and mother, with many little kids. Then the adult in the family were taking care of the kids, and uh, I mean, the the children who are adults, maybe 13 and more, were taking care of the, uh, the kids, but the father and mother had to go do labor job. They quit the school. The father had no formal education. He, his English was zero. The mother had like level three. Uh, she finished her primary school before coming to Canada, or she had a primary school uh, certificate uh, before coming to Canada. So, uh, They had to suffer for the entire eight to nine months after the sponsors left them only because the sponsor did not communicate to them, did not explain to them what's in their mind and what's like the plan ahead for them. I mean, if only the sponsors had communicated and had told the the refugees that they don't agree in the decision, then they could have actually changed their decision, but there was no communication before. So... They didn't know. They didn't know that they, they should have not moved ahead with their decision. So that's also another proof, you know, that communication is very important. Talking to each other before you take any decision. Always, my advice to the sponsor, always before you make a decision, always consult with the newcomers. Even if you feel that you are um, putting their uh, interest in your mind first. But then again, explain to them why and don't take any uh, decision by yourself. Always involve them. This is part of like creating trust, creating a lasting relationship. And also it helps empower the newcomers. They feel you know more empowered. They feel you are considering them. You are valuing them. Their sense of belonging increase when you actually involve them in decision making.
0: This is already one very good advice and perhaps a good transition back to the project that you are currently working on. Can you tell us, in the cases where misunderstandings and conflicts occur, what strategies could sponsors and newcomers follow to resolve them? What do you advise the people that you meet at your trainings?
1: Sure. So as I mentioned earlier, we focus first on explaining cultural differences and how culture impacts communication. We see communication as a critical factor in building uh, trust and in building good and constructive relationship communication all uh, varies from one culture to another uh, so we start by explaining cultural considerations how this consideration impact uh, the communication and then speak about like barriers to communication between different cultures uh, we also you know see as i mentioned you know that one of the uh, source of conflict is the unequal power so if you look at how the uh, sponsorship uh, relationship is built, there is a definite power imbalance there. Sponsors have resources, have uh, a knowledge, experience, language, probably also, you know, self-realization and self-esteem. Probably not all the refugees have all this power. So there is an equal power here so we teach sponsors how to mitigate this power imbalance it's very important because if you know how to manage the inequality in the relationship then you are actually considering the other you are trying to build trust and you are trying to build a lasting relationship with the other when that all relies on how you manage the power imbalance from the beginning before even any conflict happens And then after that, we move to uh, explain or, uh, yes, explain about the unconscious bias and how it impacts our actions and behaviors. So we want to try to avoid, you know, being, um, avoid generalizing stereotyping that lead us, you know, to create some uh, unfair judgment towards refugees. All of this actually is kind of like a, a preventative approach to conflict. So if you follow uh, those strategies, then probably you may mitigate an occurrence of conflict. That's one the first part of the uh, training. That takes actually an hour and a half from our training because it's very important. We want to try to avoid having a conflict. But once conflict happens or when things get heated we teach the sponsors you know how to de-escalate conflict so there is a cycle to conflict escalation that you want the sponsor to uh, to try to break so they can de-escalate the conflict instead of escalating it so we teach them strategies to de-escalate conflict and then after that we move to tell them you know we tried everything but conflict happened. So now how do you manage conflict? So we manage conflict by teaching or by adopting empathetic listening. So we teach them conf- uh, active listening skills, how to ask questions, how to actually count the others, and how to move into getting more information without you know, making the other feel uncomfortable. Asking questions that actually open the relationship get you to understand their needs, concerns, worries, preference, and there from there, if you want to also express your own emotions, express your needs, concerns, worries, and then sit together, communicate, and generate different uh, solutions, and together work on creating uh, uh, create a solution that's actually a win-win for both of them.
0: Well, it seems to me that your advice to sponsors and sponsored newcomers then would be to engage in active listening to each other, to understand better the differences between each other, which could stem from different backgrounds, different culture, or different religion, and then to try and work together as much as possible. Is that correct?
1: Exactly, that's correct, because that's what you want, you know. You want the sponsor to sit with the refugee, talk to them, instead, you know, of, like, just cutting the relationship or just, you know, imposing a decision on them. You want them to sit with them, let them feel that they are equal to you, let them feel that you actually hear their feelings, that you understand their feelings, their emotions, you understand what they are going through. Then from there, you know, Once you express empathetic listening, they will be open to you. They will tell you more. They will be actually comfortable with telling you everything that's going around with them. That also helps understand the source of conflict, the source of concerns, worries. And then you can actually, instead of making a decision that might not be implemented, then you will understand the source of conflict, work and tackle the root cause of the conflict than just you know dealing with uh, the what served on the on the uh, uh, top you know what you have just seen or what they have expressed usually when there is a conflict people express their positions they express to what they want what they need but you don't know why they need that or why actually they are asking for something unless you sit with them and hear from them hear hear why they need this when you understand you will take different approach to the solution
0: listening to your explanation of the sources of conflict before i thought about potential differences between what we tend to call family-linked cases on the one hand and sponsor the stranger cases on the other hand In our previous podcast episodes, we discussed these two relatively large groups within the Canadian sponsorship system. In family-linked cases, the sponsors and the newcomers are relatives. They usually know each other very well. They are likely to share the same culture, the same religion and so on. And in the sponsor, the stranger cases, the situation is obviously completely different. So have you seen any differences between these two groups in terms of source of conflicts, frequency of conflicts, intensity of conflicts?
1: Definitely, there there are, there are uh, some different sources of conflict between uh, the two types of sponsorship. So, in family-linked cases, we see sometimes, you know, that um, there is usually like family values. So, uh, a way that where the family, when the family were together, they expressed the same values, the same maybe behavior or at least something that were familiar for both of them but sometimes with time someone came here they've been here for three four years so they have changed so now when the new member join they don't actually expect to see changes in their family members so they might be um, surprised maybe also they might not be happy usually family link cases they live together so they are probably unhappy with the way um, things are managed at house or, you know, there are sometimes more expectation from a family member who will join you. Probably they need to work and help you uh, in the work. Probably, you know, the way they act, the way they express themselves, there could be more like interference from the family member who sponsored. Maybe there is also another way of like uh, dealing with any issue. There is uh, an approach to conflict, which we call power-based approach, where um, one of the party expressed you know their power. So we brought you here. you have to uh, do what we are telling you to do or you have to conform to the way we live. So it's more like personal. sometimes it's like more interpersonal conflict, but also because it's like a sponsorship relationship, it expands to be like conflict in the terms of uh, a conflict uh, a sponsorship conflict. We have to acknowledge that uh, we hear more about like uh, stra- uh, sponsored stranger than family link cases. Because I might not go complain about my family member who brought me here, and I have you know to manage these twelve uh, months however it goes because I don't want to put my family member uh, in trouble. But then for the other sponsors, whether it's like a sa or a group of five. I can go and complain to RCC or to the organization or to a caseworker. So we hear more about uh, uh, other type of uh, uh, sponsorship conflict. So for a sponsor, uh, the stranger, there are many sources of conflict. First, you know there is no prior communication between the parties, so they don't know each other well, and also there is some structural issue with the program itself. You know. Uh, Sometimes we receive the refugees like those who, I mean, when you are sponsoring someone through the blended visa office referred program, which is part of what we call like uh, sponsor the strangers. uh, We don't know the refugees that much. There is no prior communication. Also, you know, we don't know when they will be arriving. Probably they will arrive in one month. Probably they'll arrive in six months. So if they arrive fast, maybe we are not that well prepared to receive them. Maybe you haven't finished setting up the house, communicating with different like, stakeholders. So uh, conflicts arise because of lack of readiness sometimes. Also, you know, um, those who come through the uh, sponsor, the stranger program, I see that they are the most vulnerable refugees. They are referred to RCC for certain reasons. could be sickness or it could be childhood trauma or uh, uh, many different like complex reasons. So they they are very vulnerable. They require more attention. They require more patience and more preparation. But probably the sponsor don't know all the background because I would also this is say this is one of the weakness of managing this program. RCC does not share all the background information. So sometimes the sponsors are uh, shocked with some information they get to know after the refugees arrive to Canada and they settle them. So there could be lack of information as one of the sources of conflict. I'll give you an example. One of the just like recently coached SA they had an issue with it's, uh, it was like a housing issue with uh, three uh, refugees who come uh, through the before program uh, the problem was uh, one of them does not want to live with the others, and it was beyond the expectation and the financial ability of the SA. So through coaching them, we helped them to understand why that refugee doesn't want to be with someone else in the house. So there were some issues that the refugee didn't did not feel comfortable to share until actually Tessah, built a good relationship, pulled that rapport, and then started asking the right question in the right way. So there were some anxiety disorder, severe, uh, severe anxiety and disorder involved. So the refugee wanted to be alone because he needs space. He needs space by himself. So it helps to understand more about the refugees to know why we always we say, you know, empathetic listening is also about asking why those people are taking this uh, position. So by knowing the reason, you find different way of solving the problem. And this is like one of the before cases that I heard about. But I honestly, when I mediated cases between Syrian newcomers and Canadian sponsors back in 2016, Majority of those were actually before as well. Uh, The problem was also lack of explanation to the refugee about the uh, program. There is confusion between am I sponsored by the government or by the uh, the group of people who are supporting me. Also, you know, different expectations because the refugee will come here and they think, you know, they are sponsored by the government. But then they see people who are helping them. Who are those people and how do I communicate with them? How are they related to the government? So not all the time sponsors or even the government explain to the uh, refugees how this program works, what are the expectations, what are the results. So again, it's misinformation or lack of information.
0: It's very interesting to listen to your examples, Rola, and I'm happy that they somehow also confirm what we discussed in our last episode with Professor Kiryakides. He has studied this pre-arrival communication between sponsors and sponsored newcomers and he argued that this type of communication really facilitates better management of uh, expectations, for example, and then reduces any post-arrival conflicts. In the end of our conversation, I wanted to invite you to provide some recommendations to policymakers and practitioners who design and implement sponsorship programs and who inevitably will, of course, continue facing some of the challenges that we have discussed today.
1: So, you know, in terms of the private sponsorship, I have a lot of (laughs) recommendations, given that, you know, for the last uh, seven years, I've been working in the private sponsorship. But for the sake of today, I would just like focus on the things that uh, impact the relationship and lead to conflict. So first, I think... Uh, RCC and those who are in the position of policy making have to ensure that they create a system where uh, sponsors and refugees speak to each other before they arrive, especially, you know, again, it's before or it's sponsored by a SA or any type of like uh, uh, when sponsors sponsor someone who are not family members. So there is, should be a system where sponsors and refugees communicate together, explain the expectation to both of them Like, I mean, each one of them explain their expectations from the other. That really helps a lot. So after we delivered the training to Manisa, I hear them saying, this is one of the learning from the training. They say, first thing we'll do when the refugees arrive, we want actually to manage their expectations and explain our expectation to them. So probably the policymakers have to think of this now. Uh, Another thing that I would advise is uh, I know uh, there is orientation uh, that takes place before the refugee arrives. Probably some cultural uh, norms, standards, some cultural expectations should be also integrated into that orientation. So also the newcomers who probably never been exposed to another culture in their life get to know, you know, that probably they will be faced or they will see different cultural behaviors in the country where they go again the sponsors here probably also need to learn more about you know uh, the culture of the people who are they are sponsoring there are a lot of resources here in canada there are a lot of uh, uh, community centers that are probably connected to one culture or another so for the canadian sponsors there are a lot of resources I actually encourage them to get to know about the culture of the people who are sponsoring before they arrive here. But again, don't make like assumptions. Uh, one of the thing about us, maybe when we are when we learn about others' people culture, that we make assumptions or we generalize. It's good that we always validate these assumptions with the people. I mean, here in this context, it's the refugees. Before we even, you know, uh, make any judgment based on our assumptions. One of the recommendations or one of the highest uh, recommendation we got after the training is to make this training kind of like mandatory to anyone who wants to sponsor. And we already shared this with RCC because many sponsors who uh, attended our training, they said, you know, this training should be actually mandatory because it prepares the sponsors um, from different aspects, like emotionally, and then we equip them with strategies, with tools, to, to reset the refugees here and make their first year uh, a very good experience. And also, you know, it's a peace of mind for the sponsor, you know, when they know that, you know, we'll be facing challenges when the refugees arrive, but we know how to manage these challenges. So I think uh, RCC, the project is ending by March 2023. 20, in just two months, but then probably RCC has to find a way. We are trying to do something as TNG to make this uh, uh, training available online. But the interaction that happened during the session is very important. And we always open the conversation and ask the sponsors to share their lived experience with us. And also you know ask any question that come to their mind. So I mean, the interaction that happened during the session is very important too. Uh, so this is another recommendation that I really hope, even like if it's not GNG that's managing the project, but I hope RCC can consider expanding uh, this project to all sponsors with their SAs or group of five or any other uh, community sponsors.
0: Rula, thank you so much for this conversation and for the recommendations that you shared, and to our listeners, stay tuned for our next episodes.